Hello, my rebels. I want to tell you that the trucker convoy debate is coming back. The media is trying to defame the truckers, of course, and they see an opportunity, the upcoming commission of inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act. I want to tell you a little bit about that act and our plans for how we're going to cover it. That's on today's podcast. Before I get to that, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. Rebel News Plus is the video version of our show, and boy, that was so important for our coverage of the truckers, wasn't it? Go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. You get my weekly show. Sorry, my show every weeknight. And four weekly shows by my colleagues here. That's 36 episodes a month just for eight bucks. But even if you prefer the audio podcast to the video version, please consider supporting us anyways. We need the dough because we don't take a dime from Trudeau and it shows. That's all at rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, here comes the rematch in the battle between Trudeau and the truckers. It's August 8th. This is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. The trucker convoy in February was the most important political moment in Canada in decades. In my mind, it rivals, it exceeds perhaps, for those of you who are old enough to remember it, the people of Canada voting down the Charlottetown Accord, which was put to a national referendum. That was a constitutional deal that every major political party, every major media outlet, every major bank and corporation, every fancy person said we had to do. But the people said no in a referendum. That was about 30 years ago. The reason I make that comparison is that the unanimity in Canada in regards to the pandemic and the lockdowns was total amongst the ruling classes. That's why the first thing to break under the pressure of the convoy was the leader of the conservative opposition, Aaron O'Toole. But all three words there were counterfeit. He didn't lead, he wasn't conservative, and he did not oppose. The truckers showed leadership. I, I wouldn't necessarily call them conservative, but rather concerned with civil liberties and personal freedom and limited government. That could include true classical liberals, libertarians, anyone concerned about bodily autonomy and privacy and opposing opposition. Well, that was the main point, wasn't it? The truckers broke the national spell so many had been under. The truckers were proof that, no, we didn't all agree to the madness. And there were so many of them, not just in Ottawa and Windsor and Coots, Alberta, but along the highways cheering them on. It was a reminder that the media and politicians, the political media industrial complex, had created a false consciousness where everyone pretended to agree because everyone thought everyone else agreed. So they were bullet into silence. The truckers broke the fever. I truly believe Rebel News had a part in that. We were the honest chroniclers of that story. We had our chief videographer, Mocha, embedded in that convoy as early as Calgary and traveled with it to Ottawa. We covered it in coots. In fact, we holed up with them for weeks as they had a standoff with Trudeau's RCMP at the border crossing between Alberta and Montana. And of course, we absolutely dominated the media coverage of the main event in Ottawa. 
Two of our newer reporters, Lincoln Jay and Alexa Lavoie, covered it on the ground for more than three weeks straight without a day off. They knew that they were recording history while the CBC and CTV and Global News and the bailout newspapers hid from the big bad mean truckers. We talked to them, interviewed them, showed them, showed what was really happening and permitted me to share with you my one minute presentation to the truckers. I was asked by them out of the blue to speak. I didn't really want to take over their stage, but I did say a few words. And in retrospect, I'm so glad I did. And I really was honored to be asked to be on that stage and to be received as warmly as I was. It really was a personal highlight for me. So permit me to share it. wonderful and it was brutal it went from a festival atmosphere to a banana republic style crackdown for god's sakes they shot our reporter alexa Trudeau did that, and he seized hundreds of bank accounts of his political enemies, and he arrested his political enemies in the style of Hugo Chavez or Vladimir Putin. And in the end, he went full tin pot dictator. He went full Fidel Castro. He invoked the never-before-used Emergencies Act, bringing in a form of martial law. And he even desecrated the image of the Mounties, and they were happy to go along with it. Mounted police stomping on peaceful protesters, a disgraceful image that flashed around the world. The whole world saw what a petty little, violent little, thin-skinned little 
dictator he is. What a small man Trudeau is. But we made a difference. We really did. I know this because 400 million people saw our stories on YouTube, Rumble, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the other mediums were on. It was equal to our entire viewership for the whole year, 2021, in one single month. The CBC's average monthly online reaches about 320 million. So we were actually, for that story, even larger, which is why Trudeau failed and the truckers won. Trudeau and his media shills tried to paint them as violent, as insurrectionists. They tried to borrow the U.S. narrative of a violent uprising on January 6th. Instead, the only violence was at Trudeau's hands, despite several media hoaxes and even outright propaganda like this classic. I do ask that because, uh, you know, given Canada's support of Ukraine in this current crisis with Russia, it, I don't know if it's far-fetched to ask, but, but there is concern that Russian actors could be continuing to fuel things uh, as, this, as this protest grows, but perhaps even instigating it from, from the outset. That's the CBC. She got a promotion. So it was a huge win for the truckers. It broke the fever and marked the beginning of the end for many vaccine mandates. And most importantly, it knocked out the fake conservative opposition leader who was not conservative, did not oppose and did not lead. I think it had paternity over Jason Kenney being thrown out, too. It woke us up and Trudeau's overreaction, stomping on us with horses, slandering us all as racists and whatever he says. It just looks so desperate and so obviously untrue to so many Canadians. His bullying of Tamara Leach, the Métis grandma, who was thrown in prison for almost two full months while awaiting a minor mischief charge. That didn't turn her into an odious outcast. It made her a hero, a martyr. It showed her true colors and Trudeau's true colors. And as I'll tell you later in the show, we went to Geneva, Switzerland today, to file a human rights complaint against Trudeau and his thugs at the UN Human Rights Council. Air Canada saying that they had canceled my flight and then rebooked my flight. Initially, I was to take a 6 a.m. flight from Edmonton to Montreal, where I would have an eight-hour layover before I headed to Geneva. And in Montreal, I would catch up to Sarah Miller, who was flying in from Calgary. We took the cheapest flights, obviously. But instead, a last minute cancellation delayed my flight by half an hour and I'm being sent from Edmonton to Vancouver where I will have a little bit of a layover. And then from Vancouver, I will go all the way to Montreal where I will have another layover. I will catch up to Sarah Miller and then we will take the red eye to Geneva. When we get to Geneva, we'll quickly head to our hotel, throw off whatever luggage we have. I really don't have all that much. And then we're gonna head to the United Nations to hand deliver our complaint. And maybe, maybe the UN might do something. Sheila Gunn-Reed for Rebel News, and I'm here in Geneva, Switzerland today. Actually, I'm right in front of the United Nations complex. That's those buildings right behind me. Now, why? Why am I here? Well, I'm here because of all of your help and all of your donations to humanrightscomplaint.com. Because of your donations, we were able to have one of the best human rights lawyers in the entire country of Canada, Sarah Miller, meticulously draft a formal complaint detailing the human rights abuses happening in Canada under the backdrop of the coronavirus pandemic. We've seen arbitrary arrests and detentions 
of peaceful protesters. We've seen pastors arrested multiple times, churches seized, journalists assaulted just trying to do their jobs, and banking denied. It's all in our complaint. Now, I'm a United Nations skeptic too. I don't trust them, but I also don't trust Trudeau. And someone has to do something. The UN routinely speaks up when Russia or Cuba or Venezuela cracks down on political dissidents. The UN should speak up this time too, even if it is Justin Trudeau. Now, some of you might know Sarah Miller as Pastor Art Pulowski's longtime lawyer. She recently secured a major victory for him at the Alberta Court of Appeal, where she was able to have the contempt findings against Pastor Art completely tossed out. Go and don't come back without a warrant. Out, Nazi. Out. Out. Sarah Miller, I said it before, I'll say it again. She's one of the best in the country. She flew here with me to present our formal complaint and all of her supporting materials. This is important and we don't want this to be ignored. That's why we came in person. I've personally had about 24 hours of travel time just to get here today. We grabbed the cheapest flights that we could find. We're going to deliver our complaint and then I'm headed right back home. Now, maybe the UN acts, maybe it doesn't, but we can at least say that we did something when nobody else was. By the way, did you know the UN has a special rapporteur for human rights defenders and that person has a special focus on gender? Maybe she would be surprised to hear about the treatment of Tamara Leach, the peaceful Métis grandma who was recently held for 49 days on minor mischief charges because she protested Justin Trudeau in Ottawa, her nation's capital. Now to support this very important trip, please visit humanrightscomplaint.com. And thanks again to everybody who's already made this important work possible. For Rebel News, I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed. More with Sheila later in the show. So that was a huge victory in February. But Trudeau's trying to undo it. He's trying to revise history. Look at this pack of lies in the Trudeau state broadcaster, the CBC. Police still investigating officers' donations to Freedom Convoy fundraiser. Now, the fact that out-of-control, politicized police chiefs are still threatening anyone who privately made a donation is outrageous and gross and unacceptable and very banana republic to have an ideological test to be a cop. The Ottawa police are amongst the worst police in the country. Remember this abuse? For what? Hey! What are you doing? Hey! Hey! That's assault! I've got it all on video. Yeah, he failed to ID. Get back! Hey! Hey! Get back! We're back. We're filming. We're doing our part. Pig, it's all on video. No, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Hey, Ritz, Ritz, stand down. Stand down. Stand down. Ritz, no, it's peaceful. No, let, let them let them do. This is going right to the media. YouTube. What's your name and badge number? What's your name and badge badge number? What's your name and badge number? What's your name and badge number? Look, they're hurting an old man, a Canadian citizen. It's communism. This is communism. He's scared. 
Communist. You stand with the communist fucking government. Call your police chief. He'll back you up. Call the police. Call your police chief. So gross. But look at this. This is this is what I mean. Okay, so so the story is the Ottawa police are, are a disgrace, but but here's the thing, quote, where do donations come following the declaration of the protest as being illegal? What? What what does that mean, the declaration of the protest as being illegal? A, a, a declaration? Is that a thing? Like like a declaration of independence or when you're crossing the border at customs and you declare that you have, you know, maybe a bottle of liquor you have to pay tax on? Declaration. Well, I do declare. What does that mean? Declaration. Is that a thing to declare something illegal? Is that is that how it works in Canada, according to the CBC state broadcaster? Who who gets that power? Well, actually, a court does. Courts can make a declaration resolving some sort of dispute. Declaratory relief, it's it's called. It's often one thing on a list of items a court might do after a trial. And that's a point, after a trial. A prosecutor cannot declare you guilty of a crime. A policeman cannot declare you guilty of a crime. A prosecutor can make an allegation. A cop can charge you with a crime, can accuse you of it, but you're called the accused. You're not called the illegal one, the guilty one. That only happens after your day in court, after a trial, where both sides are represented, and a neutral judge considers the facts in the law. A neutral judge. Like Arthur Pavlovsky finally got in Alberta in front of the Court of Appeal where all the calumnies and accusations and allegations against him, the declarations that he was illegal, they were all thrown out as baseless, as unwarranted. The courts did make a declaration. You bet that he was not guilty. The cops and the prosecutors were in the wrong. That's how the CBC covered that, by the way. Take a look at this. This is how they covered that. A Calgary-based street pastor, his brother and a cafe owner, all of whom flouted public health restrictions for months, have seen their contempt of court sanctions set aside by the Alberta Court of Appeal. No, you wicked liars. That's what it means when the court throws it all out. It means you did not flout the law. You're making the accusation, the allegation after it had just been heard and thrown out by three of the highest judges in the province. The malicious, wicked CBC are liars, aren't they? In literally the story that says he didn't break the law, their first line is that he broke the law. But back to the trucker story on the CBC that I'm talking about today. Donations to the protesters were made through the site, GoFundMe, starting February 2nd, the same day Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said the protest was, quote, becoming illegal. Shortly after, the city of Ottawa and Ontario government declared separate states of emergency, freezing access to any funds raised on the platform for what was then termed an illegal occupation by Premier Doug Ford. Oh, okay, so, so it wasn't a court. It, it's not even a cop. It's not even a prosecutor. It's, it's, it's two politicians, Justin Trudeau, said the protest was becoming illegal, whatever that means. What, what does that mean? I know what it could mean uh, if it turned into a riot. Anyone there, part of the riot, that would be illegal. Riots are illegal. The riot act, you ever heard that phrase? Read the riot act. You're telling people they're about to become illegal. That didn't happen. It was not illegal. It didn't get violent. It didn't become illegal. The only violence was from the cops. 
I think that's just the dumbest, laziest prime minister in memory mouthing off. You're becoming illegal. And Doug Ford calling it an illegal occupation. Well, hang on a second. Is it the occupation now or the protest that's illegal? Or does it even matter to the fact-free CBC? Which is illegal? Because Doug Ford declared it so? Is that the law? Is that how it works in Canada? They also found some professor named Michael Kempa who apparently teaches students, and he thinks that those declarations make it illegal. Let me quote him. Police can donate to whatever political causes they like, providing that they're not criminal in nature, he said. The real concern is whether the donations came following the declaration of the protest as being illegal. Any donations made after the protest were clearly deemed illegal would be troublesome, according to Kempa. Oh, he's a very wise man. So it was a declaration, and it was clearly deemed illegal. That's what a professor says, because this guy who teaches criminology says when a politician says you're illegal, you're illegal, or you go to jail or whatever. Is that how it works in the criminology department? God, they're stupid. Or maybe they just think you're stupid. It was not an illegal protest. No, no, course, no court said so. No prosecutor alleged it. No cop has testified to it. It's just a pack of lies on Trudeau CBC, of course. They're professional liars. Which brings us to the exciting news coming up. As you may know, the Emergencies Act, the form of martial law, has a provision where if it is ever invoked, there must be an independent inquiry into whether or not it was justified, appropriate to invoke martial law. And that is coming. That's coming next month to Ottawa. Did you know that? Now, Trudeau has tried to rig the rules, of course. He's unethical. His terms of reference for the inquiry, imagine that, Trudeau gets to write the rules for how Trudeau is investigated, focus not on his abuses, not on his misconduct, his seizing of bank accounts, his violent police, his saying we shouldn't tolerate each other. On sent que la sécurité est accrue autour de vous. Là. On sent que c'est euh, plus dangereux peut-être en ce moment pour ben, vous? On est en, dans un moment difficile parce qu'on est en train de prendre des, des, des choix importants. Euh, on est en train de décider que oui, on va s'en sortir de cette pandémie par la vaccination. Puis on, sait, on en connaît tous des gens qui sont en train d'hésiter un petit peu. On va continuer d'essayer de les convaincre. Mais il y a aussi des gens qui sont farouchement opposés à la vaccination. Qui sont extrémistes. Qui ne croient pas dans la science, qui sont souvent misogynes, qui sont souvent racistes aussi. C'est un, 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 un petit groupe, mais qui prend de la place. Et là, il faut faire un choix en tant que leader, en tant que pays. Est-ce qu'on est qu tolère ces gens-là ou est-ce qu'on dit, ben voyons... La... No, uh, he thinks he's going to put the truckers on trial. He thinks that's what the Emergency Act requires. That's how he's rigged the rules. If you can see here, he's even going to study misinformation. So he's going to try to put Rebel News and True North on trial because we didn't propagandize for him like the CBC did. They're going to try to flip the blame for Trudeau's violence and his bank seizures and his martial law. They're going to try and blame the victims, the peaceful protesters and the independent journalists and the media party. The liars in the media are going to help him. Well, not us. In fact, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to literally set up camp in Ottawa, not on the street. We're going to set up camp in Ottawa during the entire Commission of Inquiry. We're going to live stream it. Every single day, we're going to have nightly live streams and commentaries about it. We're going to 
cover it more and better than anyone else in Canada did, just like we covered the trucker convoy itself, and more and better than the CBC and the other liars who tried to defame the truckers last time and will again, too. I don't want to give away all of our plans, but here are a few. We're going to rent an Airbnb in Ottawa for our team for the whole duration. Some of us will be there for the whole time. Some of us will come and go for a few days or a few weeks. It'll be a temporary rebel office and living compound. We're going to have journalists and editors and camera people there every single day. We'll have our own studio. We're going to have a special website, truckercommission.com, exclusively dedicated to covering the story, to rebut the lies, to tell the truth. We're still working on the plans and some of the plans I don't want to give away until we do it. I don't want to give the CBC and Trudeau warning. But that's my message to you today. Rebel News earned our stripes by telling the other side of the story in the convoy in February when we reported in a manner that the media party did not. We won that battle. They're trying to have a do-over, and it's up to us to speak the truth. I wanted to tell you that on this special day, a day when Sheila Gunn-Reed was literally traveling halfway across the world to fight for our civil liberties. She's next. Welcome back. I, I tell you, something's wrong in a country where Tamara Leach, a peaceful grandma who uh, simply was a political critic of Justin Trudeau, is thrown in prison again and again before she's even had a trial on inciting mischief. It just, it, it strikes you in your bones as un-Canadian. We're a country that gives literally accused terrorists and murderers bail. And if it was just Tamara Leach, that would be one thing. But what about Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky, also almost exactly the same amount of time in prison before a trial on the substance of his charges. Again, no criminal record ever, a peaceful pastor who spends his weekends feeding the hungry 50 days in prison, SWAT team style arrests on the highway. And it's not just him. Once, it's a mistake, twice, you know, is troubling, but three times, Pastor James Coates and Grace Life Church being seized by hundreds of police. And then there's the Church on the Vine. Churches, but not just churches, peaceful political critics. And after a while, you start to see a pattern, and that pattern is we are violating human rights. Canada, which thinks of itself as a modern human rights-respecting progressive country, in fact, one of the most lenient countries in the world when it comes to crimes, has been positively a banana republic when it comes to cracking down on peaceful protests, my God, they actually shot our reporter Alexa Lavoie in the leg. Remember this terrible moment? So what do you do when you see this pattern and no one seems to care? The opposition was silent for so long in this country. The courts were silent for so long. The media was atrocious, cheering on the lockdowns. No institution in our own country, no checks and balances worked. Well, we decided to make a long shot we decided to file a human rights complaint at the United Nations Human Rights Council. Now, I know I'm a critic of the Human Rights Council of the UN. They normally have people like China and Iran on them, criticizing free countries like America. The UN itself is an undemocratic place, authoritarian and globalist. But still, this is the one institution of the UN that claims to care about political freedom and basic human rights, and so it was. 
that we commissioned one of our favorite lawyers, the lawyer for Arthur Pavlovsky himself, Sarah Miller, to draft a formal human rights complaint against the Canadian government and go to Geneva, Switzerland with our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed, and file and lodge this complaint at the UN and demand that they investigate this repeated and persistent pattern of violating the UN Declaration of Human Rights. And so today, after nearly 24 hours in an overseas journey, Sheila and Sarah landed and did just that. Sheila joins us now via Skype from Geneva, Switzerland. Sheila, great to see you. Thank you. I know you're going on about one hour sleep or two hours sleep (laughs) in the last day. I thank you for that. And you're headed right back. This is no vacation. You are there to deliver this complaint. And you did that today with Sarah Miller. We definitely did. We went, we landed, we went to our hotel. One of our rooms wasn't even ready, but we were on a mission. We just changed our clothes and went back out to the UN complex. We found the building of the UN Human Rights Council, and we went there with our complaint. And I must tell you, I only saw the 15-page draft that Sarah sent. Now, they only actually won an eight-page draft, but she's extra detailed. So hers was 15 pages. But her supporting evidence that she provided filled up, and I mean filled up, a three-inch binder, Hmm. a white three-inch binder, That was our complaint. So it had her legal complaint and then all the supporting evidence of the infractions on human rights by the government and all levels of government, not just Justin Trudeau, over the last two years. And really, ultimately, it came down to if you want civil rights in Canada, you better agree with the government. Because once you broke ways with the government on any issue, how many people you should have in your church, how many people you should have in your house, who do you get to serve your burgers to? Once you did that, the government came for you and you risked incarceration, financial ruin, being cut off from your bank account, and not just one incarceration, but repeated incarceration. Um, and that's one of the things Sarah points out in her complaint is these are arbitrary detentions. People being imprisoned for things that you would never see the inside of a jail cell for. Uh, so, as like you, Ezra, I'm a critic of the United Nations. I'm a skeptic of everything they do. They don't even allow me in their conferences anymore. Mm. But these are the people who complain at Saudi Arabia for their treatment of Christians. These are the same people who complain at China for their treatment of religious minorities mm. and peaceful protesters. So now... Maybe they need to level those same criticisms at Justin Trudeau. And one of two things is going to come of this, the United Nations is going to discredit itself further, or they will embarrass Justin Trudeau. And I'm fine with either one. Yeah. Well, I uh, also had only read the 15-page cover letter, which is very interesting. And by the way, folks, you can read that 15-page letter at humanrightscomplaint.com. I had not seen the thousand pages of evidence that Sarah Miller put together. We'll have to get our hands on another digital copy of that and put that on humanrightscomplaint.com so people can see it. I, I haven't looked at it myself. I'm delighted but not surprised that Sarah would be so diligent. She's been <laughs> Arthur Pavlovsky's lawyer for more than two years. Very meticulous. Um, how? Tell us a little bit about the journey because you live in northern Alberta, about half an hour outside the city of Edmonton. 
and you had a very circuitous route. And I, I want people to know it because <laughs> I just want people to know the lengths you went to. And then you met up with Sarah halfway through and you both went to uh, the UN headquarters in Geneva together. Just tell, I want our people to know the lengths you went to to hand deliver this complaint today. Well, and I don't think I'm talking out of turn when I say that Sarah is very ill. <laughs> so, so when I finally did meet up with Sarah in Montreal, uh, she was not feeling well, but she said this is a journey that she had to make. So we did it. Um, but yeah, uh, in the middle of the night, normally I have to get up quite early to go to the airport anyway, because I live so far from the Edmonton airport. So um, I would have been getting up at three to catch a flight at 6 a.m. But sometime in the middle of the night, Air Canada rebooked my a flight. My flight was supposed to go from Edmonton early in the morning to Montreal. I would have a substantial layover there, which is fine. We saved a bunch of money and I was going to go hang out with Alexa Lavoie. No harm, no foul. Except then they rebooked my flight. They sent me uh, at 6.30 in the morning to Vancouver, the opposite direction, then laid me over there for two hours. Then they sent me back to Montreal, laid me over there for about two hours. And then they boarded us on the plane, and then the plane was delayed on the tarmac for, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours. So it was just a real ordeal. But we got here, we hit the ground running, and we did what we came to do. I'm adding up all those different parts of the journey. I, it sounds like it was almost 24 hours, and that's not fun, spending 24 hours in planes and, and airports. Um, it looks like you are at the hotel now just to catch your breath, but I know you've got to go back out and film another story about the UN, so thank you for that. Um, now, uh, when I spoke to you this morning, you said that the UN Human Rights Council is a very foreboding place, razor wire, high security place. They did accept the document. They, they filed it and stamped it and gave you a certified receipt, which is important. So they have accepted service of the complaint. I'm very glad to hear it. But tell us a little bit about the building. I've never been uh, to Geneva. I hear I hear it's beautiful. Um, you have this imposing UN presence there. We always think of the UN headquarters at New York City, and because that's where the General Assembly is, that's where a lot of the news is. But they have a very big cluster of offices in in Geneva too, don't they? They do. This is one of their UN hubs. They have uh, more, but a sort of a similar facility in in Bonn, Germany. Um, but you know, out front of the UN building. It's kind of fun. There's fountains, there's kids playing, and there's sculptures. Um, it, by the way, it's also forbiddingly hot outside. It's like 33 degrees. Um, so, uh, but the building itself, again, surrounded in razor wire, it's, you can't get into the building or near the building unless you pre-book uh, a guided tour. Well, we are not here for a guided tour. We, we came here to hand-deliver a human rights complaint. But the building itself, yeah, it's, it's like this white granite castle, almost like a cathedral to uh, globalism. Mm -hmm. And as, as I remarked to you in an email, or maybe it was in a conversation the other day, the building itself has that art deco feel that reminds me of the building in the Ghostbusters or in Rosemary's Baby. It's that sort of stacked on top of itself, art deco feel dedicated to, um, you know, evil. <laughs> there might be some of that happening here. Um, but uh, the, the the video that I'm planning to run out and film is just to walk people around the UN complex and, mm -hmm. and show them what you can see when you go down there. Yeah. I mean, there was this utopian moment after World War I, Woodrow Wilson. They, they really wanted to have a world government. 
And they thought that this Geneva headquarters for the, it was going to be for the League of Nations, as it was called back then. They really thought they were going to have a global empire. Of course, that fell apart when it faced reality. Um, I don't know. Like you, I mean, we are full-time critics of the UN because we think it's being colonized by the bad guys. I mean, China runs four of the agencies. Um, when you have Iran and North Korea on the Human Rights Council criticizing others, you have to be skeptical. But what I tell people is, well, it's Wayne Gretzky who said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I know you say that sometimes too. Um, yep. We've got to take these long shots because at the very least, as you say, Trudeau will hopefully be asked to reply and he'll probably have some BS letter he sends out. So at the very least, he'll know that people are looking. And you know, Trudeau, in, in some ways, I think he loves other countries more than he loves Canada. By that, oh, I mean, for sure. he's trying. He's always trying to impress other people in, who don't know the truth about him. So that's why he goes to Davos, Switzerland, to hobnob with the World Economic Forum. That's why he loves going to New York to the General Assembly. He loves going to L.A. and New York and these conferences because they don't know what he's actually like. So if the fancy people in Switzerland know what he's really like in this 15-page cover letter and 1,000 pages of evidence, maybe that will prick him more than some Canadian in Canada criticizing him. And at least we've let the record know that someone is opposing him, even if he's had such a free pass for the last two and a half years. You know, in the past, Canada has been forced to respond to these sorts of complaints. Um, do you remember when the special rapporteur, that's what they have, these special sort of investigators and people who come and have conversations, there was a special rapporteur on Indigenous rights right. that came to Canada to do an investigation. Well, wouldn't you know it? There's a special rapporteur for the treatment of human rights activists mm. with a special focus on gender. Now, mm. normally I don't care about special focuses on gender, but boy, doesn't Tamara Leach fit the bill yeah. there. Well, she's, she's a an human indigenous yeah. woman. Indigenous woman. You know, uh, that's the thing the UN and Trudeau claim to care about. Well, we saw from Jody Wilson-Raybould's treatment that Trudeau's a liar on that stuff. Well, Sheila, I'm so grateful to you for making the journey, and it's very arduous. And please give my best regards to Sarah Miller, who I understand I is really feeling ill, but she had accomplished her mission of delivering, uh, I think in a legal term, we'd call that service of the document. We served the document. It was stamped, received. So it's official now. They can't claim, oh, we lost it in the mail or we lost it in the email. And... I know you're coming straight back. I want to say to, to the folks out there, I believe this is an important project, even though I believe it's unlikely to score a true hit on Trudeau. I think this is worth doing. It's the kind of thing that if we don't do, no one else will do. And if you share my views on that, and if you are thrilled to see Sheila, our chief reporter in Geneva, after such an arduous journey, I would not be smiling if I had 24 hours on a plane, Sheila. You're a good egg. Friends, if you are proud of Sheila and proud of Sarah Miller, who's been one of the best lawyers on our whole team, please go to humanrightscomplaint.com, read the 15-page cover letter. We'll upload the 1,000 pages of evidence there, too. And please help us and cover... The and the receipt. And the receipt. Let's put the receipt on there, too. Thank you. Thank you. And help us cover the cost of their economy class airfare and their economy class hotel. This is not a luxury vacation. It's not a vacation at all. 
But between the legal fees for the drafting, the journey, and the other costs, we need tens of thousands of dollars. If you can help us, please do. Sheila, safe journeys. I can hardly wait to see your videos. And uh, I look forward to having you back safe and sound in Canada, too. Thanks very much. And thanks to everybody who makes this important work possible. We couldn't do this um, without all of their support. And, uh, you know, I, I speak to the people that were helping um, through Fight the Fines and the people being helped by the Democracy Fund every single day, the people that Sarah works with every single day. Um, and I know that even just doing this is a great moral support for them, knowing that we know and thousands of other Canadians know that their human rights were violated. Yeah. Well, thanks for fighting so hard. There she is, Sheila Gunn-Reed from Geneva, Switzerland. We'll keep you posted, and all of Sheila's videos on this journey will be at humanrightscomplaint.com. All right, stay with us for more. Hey, welcome back. My friend David Menzies covered the show on Friday. I was traveling, actually... Um, met with supporters in Calgary, Red Deer, Edmonton, and I'm going to keep traveling, meeting with our Producers Club and other donors, people who kept us strong during the pandemic. I haven't been able to fly until just about a month or so ago, like many of our viewers I'm on Trudeau's no-fly list. Um, still can't travel abroad without the two-week quarantine upon my return. Um, so David hosts the show on Fridays, and I'm so glad he did, but I'm delighted to be back in the chair. I'm excited about today, Sheila Gunn-Reed in... Uh, Geneva, and one of our other reporters in the secret mission that I think we'll be able to tell you about tomorrow. So much going on here. Thanks for your support, as always. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rubber World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. To increase prosperity and improve public health, but also to build back better. If the demands from the farmers are not met, what do you think happens next? I think the farmers will explode. I'm afraid it will, will be a civil war. Civil war is going to start. Up to a civil war? I don't know. I think there's going to be farmers today or tomorrow. They go to their homes and they say, if you don't come there, we come to you. Well, I know the farmers a bit. And uh, if they draw a line in the sand, they draw a line in the sand. There's going to be a small civil war. I can imagine it's going to be uh, a lot of mayhem. Quick announcement from myself. Head on over to farmerdocumentary.com where you can purchase tickets to watch our Rebel News new premiere titled The Border Dutch Farmer Rebellion, hosted by none other than Sheila Gunn-Reed and a Q&A session with myself, Lincoln Jay, who was with me in the Netherlands to cover the Farmer Rebellion, and Kian Simone, who is the writer and producer of this new premiere. So, farmerdocumentary.com. This is for Wednesday the 10th of August, and then on the Friday will be the release of the actual premiere. So if you can't make the Q&A session and the cinema screening, you can watch it there. Farmerdocumentary.com. Thank you.